And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Revelation. Revelation uh, 21. First service, when I said that, I saw a couple of people go, Oh, okay. That's where we're going. Um, yeah, we're going. We're going there. And and this morning, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Luke Hedinger. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue walking through this this sermon that we've been in, uh, this series that we've been in for quite some time now, called Primary Colors. Um, and and the, the idea, the premise that we've talked about a lot is that the, the whole idea of primary colors, right, is, is that no matter what you're painting, you can kind of boil everything down to these few primary colors. And if you start there, you can do some incredible things. And what we see in the pages of scripture in the very beginning is we see the primary color in the, in the very beginning pages of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and, and even into 3, we see the primary colors for all of the rest of the biblical narrative, right? In, in those pages, we see the seeds for, for everything else that comes to fruition throughout the rest of scripture. And so what, uh, what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to kind of look at where all of this is going. And if you don't have a Bible, um, it, there's, there's a seatback Bible. It's uh, 1891 is the, is the page. So 1891, you can turn there with us. Um, and as we're, as we're kind of thinking about what is, um, where are we going this morning, I kept thinking about uh, where our hope ultimately lies. Where, where our hope ultimately lies. Because it, it's interesting to me how even starting at a very young age, I think all of us kind of approach difficult situations by saying, I just got to get through this and then this will happen, right? I just, I just got to make it through this and, and then, you know, it's like a carrot on a stick. If I just, I just got to keep going, going forward. I, I mean, it, it, I, I can remember being a, uh, a kid thinking, I just, I just, you know, like, I hate being little. You know, my, my older sister, she'd go do things with my cousins, and, and my parents would be like, no, you have to go to bed. It's like, I can't wait till I get old enough that nobody's going to tell me what to do. Unfortunately, every time we do that, I, yeah, some people are laughing already, because every time we do that, we realize that's never actually a reality. We, you know, even that, we will always have somebody telling us what we got to do. We're, all, we're always going to have a, a, a boss, or, or there's always some authority saying, this is what you're going to do, and this is where you're going to go. And yet, we, we always think, you know, if I can just make it through this class, right? If I can just make it through this class, I can remember going through like algebra and I, I hate math. I hate math. I know that offends some of you, but I, can I get an amen, right? I, I hate math. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, I just get, you know, I can remember in, in high school thinking if I just make it through algebra, right? I'll never have to take another math class ever again. I'll never have to do anything with math. Well, that's, you know, there's disappointment there because it's like, oh, math is kind of important. You know, I can't count everything on my fingers, you know, unfortunately. But there's, there's always that, like, if I just, if I can get through my singleness, right, then I can find a spouse that's going to just complete me. And then the heavens will open and I'll hear the angels singing and just, we'll, we'll be back in the Garden of Eden and naked and, and unashamed all the time. Because that's what marriage is, Right? 
no, there's disappointment there too. And, and you know, it's like, if I can just, I can't wait till I'm 16 and I can get my car. And, and then it's like, oh, well, now I have to buy a car. Now, what's insurance? I got to pay for insurance. And, and are you kidding me? Gas is $5 a gallon. Like, I can't even make it across town without spending 20 bucks. Like, there's, there's all of these different things. Like, um, if, if I can just make it through this to retirement, Right? If I can just make it through to retirement, then everything's going to be okay. And then, and then un- you know, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, it's like, oh, retirement's not all that it's cracked up to be. And so, you know, it, it, there's, there's just all of these different things that we think, if I can just make it through. Uh, I, I, I hesitate to see if I should share this, or, but most of the time when I ask that question, I just share it anyway, and then we'll ask for forgiveness. But if, if, you've, ever, if you've ever been around people like in network marketing businesses, um, I've been around like network marketing business for, for my whole life. Um, and they always encourage you, and I'm not knocking this, so wherever you stand on this, I'm not knocking it. Uh, it just is a thing. Uh, they encourage you to, to make a dream board. And on your dream board, they encourage you to, to put all the things where it's like, man, this is the car I'm going to get. When I can get to this level of income, this is the car I'll have. And this is the house. And you put these pictures up so you can put it in your office where you're always looking and saying, this is why I'm doing that thing. This is why I'm going through these really difficult things because I, I, can, I can have that. I was talking to somebody uh, not too long ago and they were talking about this idea of a dream board and they said, you know, the reality is I had that dream board hanging up and I got everything on that board. I got the car, I got the house, I I got the vacations, I, I, I got everything on that board and you know what? It didn't fulfill. It left me in this, in this place of, of like just constant disappointment where it's like, man, that was my carrot. That was the thing where it's like, I just got to make it through this one meeting because I'm, there's my dream board. And you see, the reality is we are all kind of living a life that's punctuated by those types of disappointments. But the reality is, I think what we see as I was thinking about this, this passage for the last couple weeks, I think what we see in Revelation 21 is the fact that we were all, our, our disappointments are kind of a, a window into our created identity. Like our, our disappointments, when I, I, I heard a pastor saying one time, every time Christmas comes and goes, we have this like holiday, the holiday blues. Or it's like, oh. And he said, the reality is we desire deep connection. We desire when our family comes back around and the magic of Christmas, we desire these deep connections. And the reality is we will never fully experience it while we're here on this earth. But our hope... Our disappointment and our hope points us to something more. C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis actually says it this way. If I can get it to come up, maybe I can't. Um, I, I, hate, I hate technology. There we go. All right. C.S. Lewis says it this way. A man's physical hunger does not prove that man will get any bread. He may die of starvation on a raft in the Atlantic, but surely a man's hunger does prove that he comes of a race which repairs its body by eating and inhabits a world where eatable substances exist. In the same way, though I do not believe, I wish I did, that my desire for paradise proves that I shall enjoy it, I think it a pretty good indication that such a thing exists and that some men will. What C.S. Lewis is saying there is he's saying when we get hungry 
It's an indicator that our body was created to eat, right? When, when you get hungry, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry, and my body was created to do this, get energy from food and repair itself from food. And so there is something that exists out there, even if, we, even if we're fasting, even if, like he says, we're on a raft in the middle of the ocean and we can't get to it, there is something out there that our hunger says this exists, Bread exists. A Big Mac from McDonald's exists, right? CC City Broiler exists. My mouth starts watering even with those words, right? It's out there. And yet, the the reality is, he says, in the same way, our hope, our hope for something more points us to the fact that there is something more that we are meant for that we are created for. You see, the reality is that we see that through the pages of Scripture. That we started in Genesis. Where do we start in Genesis? Genesis 1, God creates heaven and earth. And what? Eden. And he plants a garden in Eden. And we saw a couple weeks ago that that garden is actually a mountain temple where God's presence exists. Where we get to live in right relationship with him and with others. See, everything starts on a mountain, and what we're going to see in Revelation 21, it ends on a mountain. This temple, mountain, right relationship, you see, what we were created for, our hope, is the fact that what we experience back here in the beginning of pages of scripture that was marred by sin, we will experience in full someday, and that's where our hope lies. That's better than any dream board. That's better than any graduate, better than any retirement plan. That's better. And what we see throughout the pages of scripture is that what we hope for in Jesus Christ will come to fruition. And through that, we have an identity. We have an identity that protects us in our current reality. We have an identity that says I was created for more even if my current reality shows brokenness and fear and insecurity and all these different things. Our future, our created identity that says, man, I was meant for that, protects us in our current reality. So let's, let's go ahead and read this together. And, and I'm not going to have you stand. Usually we do, but we're going to kind of read it slowly. I ran out of time in first service. So there's a few things I'm going to try and pick up the pace, uh, second service. Um, but we're just going to kind of read it slowly and we're going to talk about different things as they, as they come up. So chapter 21, verse 1, again, it's uh, page, what I say, page 1891 in those pew back Bibles, if that's, if that's where you're at. Uh, chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Let's pause there. And this is probably why I ran out of time, because there's things in this chapter that's like, oh, that's so good. we got to talk about that. Um, but as we, as we look at this revelation, as we look at what's happening, um, the, the first thing that we need to see is that God, oh man, this, this thing, does not, anyway, just pretend the primary colors thing is up on the screen. What, what we see in the very beginning as we're looking at the end of all things, there we go, the end of all things, it's, it's great having a good slide person, it's just, yeah. At the end of all things, we see, again, we see heaven and earth coming together. We see that all throughout the pages of scripture. Last week we saw in the priest, in the Old Testament, heaven and earth coming together. And now we see it in the end of all things. Our hope is the fact that heaven meets earth. 
And in that meeting, all things are made new. I think that we have to clarify, we have to identify as people of God that our hope lies in a, in a recreated heaven-earth combination. I think lots of times we have this idea that, that our, our uh, eternal dwelling place is going to be some kind of ethereal, like, uh, you know, spiritual existence on a cloud with harps. I, I, I remember believing that. I remember having a conversation with a good friend of mine when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11. You know, that's, that's when you have the most deep theological conversations. Um, and, and I remember he was, he was like my only friend that went to church and so had kind of an understanding about spirituality. And he said, you know, Luke, I don't think I want to go to heaven. What do you mean? I don't want to go to heaven. I mean, there's only two choices. I think the you know, if we don't go to heaven, it's like hell. Surely you can't want that. I was like, what? what do you mean? And he's like, I mean, think about it. We're, we're just going to spend eternity like floating on clouds, playing harps, singing songs. Like that sounds like church. Like I, I don't even like church now, let alone church that never ends. And I was like, wow, man, I, I don't know what to say to that. Because I agree, you know. It's like, I remember it's like we sat on these hard wooden pews growing up. And, and when the pastor would go along, it's like, man, we got to get the golden corral. Like this is, you know, think about, you know, it's like, okay, if our hope is in, in eternal church service, right, that is not much hope. And I know we do a great job, and, you know, this is awesome here. And we, but, but even this, over the course of eternity, might get a little old, right? You see, our hope is in something so much bigger and better than just floating around as, as disembodied spirits. You see, that belief is actually a thing called Gnosticism. That, that bled its way into the church at, at an early stage. I mean, Paul even, even talks about it. He's coming against it in Romans and Galatians. And, and so many times, in 1 Corinthians, he talks a lot about, like you can kind of see his, his writing against this Gnostic belief that says the body is actually bad and we have to overcome the body. We just have to get past the body. You know, it's like, again, it's this, if, if I can just get to the place where this body isn't weighing me down. And you see, what we see coming against that belief over and over throughout Scripture, and we see this in Isaiah, we see it in Romans, Paul's understanding of, of our hope in Romans, is the fact that, yes, creation is broken. Yes, sin has entered and things are hard, and yet our hope is not someday just being completely separated from creation. Our hope is in the fact that what God planned, he will fulfill. Amen. What he planned, he will fulfill. This garden experience in Eden, what he originally designed, we are going to experience that in full. And I have no idea really what that's going to look like. I mean, there's different things we can see in Scripture to kind of give us an understanding. But what we know is what we see in the beginning will continue to the end. Heaven coming down to earth. And, and I love because even in this, it says one of the characteristics of this. He says, and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Now, this doesn't mean that there's not going to be an ocean. It doesn't mean that we're not going to be able to go surfing or, or you know, I, I was just talking to somebody about how uh, we just love to sit and listen to the waves. It doesn't mean any of that's going to happen. But again, the Bible was written, it's written for us, but not to us. Remember, we talked about that a lot. 
And in the, the original uh, author's understanding, or the original readers, the sea represented this place of chaos. And this goes back to the very beginning. The, the earth was formless and void and the spirit hovered over the, the waters of the deep. You see, those waters of the deep, what is being talked about there is that is chaos. And God comes in, hovers over that, and out of chaos creates the cosmos. Out of chaos creates everything. Out of chaos creates beauty. And what we see in the very end of all things is that as heaven comes down to earth, chaos gets taken away. Isn't that beautiful? The chaos that, that so dominates our lives every day, just trying to figure out, well, you know, like, what's going to happen with, I mean, now monkeypox is a thing. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, are we just making up new diseases that we got to be afraid of? It feels like there's so many different things out there that can, that can cause chaos in our lives. And yet what we see the hope is that someday heaven coming to earth, that chaos will be calmed. He goes on to say in verse 2, read with me, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I, we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. I love it because as John is getting this revelation, he's seeing heaven coming to earth, the chaos going away, and, and the new Jerusalem, the bride, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, the bride coming down, and it's like he's looking at all this stuff, and all of a sudden it's like a voice comes from the throne, and it's almost like his attention goes from what's happening to what's being said in this moment. And what do we hear? God's saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And I love it because it comes from the throne. And what we know about that is the throne is the seat of all power, all authority. And, and I love it because he says, the, the voice comes from there and he says, write this down. And it's almost like that old, I'm trying to think of a cur more current saying. Sometimes I'm like, man, I'm way too old. But like the, the saying, like, take that to the bank, right? What's another? You can bet on that. I don't know what another said, more hip saying. We, we all get that, right? All right? Some of you are whispering, keep me out of the loop. That's okay. But th this idea is like, write this down. You can bet on it. You can take this to the bank. This is sure. It, we know that because it comes from the seat of authority. And he says, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and the end. This is the this is beginning and end of the Greek alpha. He's like, I am it. You can trust this. You can take this to the bank. And he says, he says, death will be no more. Neither will be mourning. I love the word picture. It says, in verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every time I read that passage, I see a God who is extremely personable and present with his creation. How, do, how does one wipe away tear from, from somebody? Have you ever had that happen before? You know, a tear running down your face and wipe it away. Isn't that such an intimate experience? 
God comes down to his creation. He says, let me take care of that. And I, I love it because when I was reading this, I, I think, you know, sometimes I think it's so easy for us to get sidetracked when we think about that hope where it's like, I just got to get through this to get to there. And our hope is, it's just another carrot on a stick. It's like, man, uh, if I can just get to the place where my body doesn't hurt me anymore, which is, it's a real thing. I mean, I, I went out and climbed with Marshall in the youth group last week and Marshall tried to almost kill me, um, climb, like climbing the... 14ers, but we made it, right? Uh, Scots, we, we were there. We, we made it, but man, coming back down that mountain, I realized my knees hurt. I'm almost 42, and it's like, goodness, my body is not working the way it used to. And, and there, I, I think sometimes our hope can be like, man, someday my body won't hurt me. I remember when I was a kid, uh, I had this little dog named Killer, and he was a little rat terrier. I called him killer because he would always tear up my socks every time I'd walk outside. Um, and I love this little dog. And I remember I watched my dog get hit by a car. Like, we lived out in the country. Life expectancy of animals, very low. Like, just don't, don't get too attached. Um, I was super attached to my dog, Killer. And I remember as we were burying him in the backyard, I remember, uh, I can't remember who said it, but I remember the... The solace, the hope was, well, someday, someday we're going to be with Killer again. It's like, I, I don't know how theological that is. I mean, despite the cartoon says all dogs go to heaven, which used to be my favorite, right? Uh, the, there's this idea that I think that I think the core of that, I don't, I don't know if Killer will be in heaven. But that would be really cool if he was. I, I don't know. But here's what I do know. As we read the pages of scripture, we don't put our hope in this, in this reality that someday everything I want and everything that makes me happy will come into existence. That's not the hope. The hope is that someday the present, the life-giving presence of God that I experience in part right now, I will experience in full later on. I will be able to experience my heavenly father in a way that he takes me and says, let me wipe that tear away. Let me, that is so much better than me getting to be with my dog for eternity, which that sounds like a country song or something like that, but it, it is, it's so much better. And maybe, maybe killer will be in heaven. I have no idea, but the reality is I don't know about that. But I, what I do know is that someday I will be able to live fully in the life giving presence of my heavenly father that does away with mourning, that does away with sadness, that, that does away with that chaos in our lives. And that is better. That is hope. And he goes on, he goes on to say in verse 6, and he who is seated on the throne, oh, we, we read that, uh, to the thirsty, verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. Again, this is Isaiah language. This idea of you don't have any money, that's okay, come and drink. That's okay, you, you don't have anything to, to get this, this feast. In, in Isaiah 55.1 it says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. What we're seeing here is our hope is in the fact that someday we just get to receive the goodness that God has given us. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? 
Yeah, we, we desire a life free of chaos. We desire a life that has hope. And he's saying, look, you can't do anything to earn it, so receive. That is good news. That is hope because there are so many times throughout life where I feel that. I feel like I go through my life and it's like, man, I have nothing to offer. I'm not a good dad this week. I am, I am moody and I don't know why, right? I, I'm, I don't feel like I'm a good pastor. I don't feel all these different things. And yet the goodness of the gospel is that Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. He, he goes on to say, this is the heritage, the inheritance that we receive. That I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's crazy because in the midst of all this beautiful language, there's a warning here. And as I was talking to Craig this past week, I was really wrestling with this because if I'm honest, there, like I get that, man, I'm thirsty and I have nothing to pay for it. I'm thirsty, God. I'm hungry. And yet when it comes to the being a conqueror and it says to to him who conquers will have this heritage, it's like, you just said that if you're thirsty, come and drink. Now I have to be a conqueror? I feel like I, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to be a conqueror. I don't feel like I'm an overcomer. So what you're telling me is I just got to try harder? Is that what you're saying? You see, the, the reality is, again, this is, this is Eden language. It goes back to the very beginning because what we see, even from the very beginning, what it means to be a conqueror, it's an invitation to come and sit at the tree of life. The tree that represents God's, God's presence, his life-giving presence and knowledge. It's, it's relationship with him. It's holding on. I'm doing this because if you remember, if you are not new, we had trees up here. And this is where the tree of life was. So you're like, why are you holding this thing? It's because I'm, imagine a poorly watered tree right here, right? And, and the, what it means to be a conqueror is to say, God, I trust you. Because what we saw in the garden, in the garden, the, the command was, don't, the other tree was here, and it was dying quickly, if you remember, and super dead, I think we threw it away. But the, the, the temptation of the serpent for the first man and first woman was, did God, did God really say, don't eat from any tree in the garden? And it's like, oh man. The question there was, man, maybe God isn't good. Because, because I, I see this tree, and if he was really good, he wouldn't keep anything good from me. And you see, what we saw in that account wasn't that God w- was withholding. It was that God desired relationship with his people, and he desired proper growth in the proper ways so that we could fully be free human beings to worship and live the way that we are created to live. And yet the temptation, we see the same thing of Jesus in the wilderness. Where what, what were the different temptations? You remember the first one? The first temptation? Are you hungry? Oh, here's some rocks. You could turn them into bread. What, what was the second one? You remember? It took, took them up to the temple mount. Took them up to the top of the temple. Throw yourself down. Because, I mean, the Bible says that God won't let you bruise your heel. And what was the third one? 
Took him up to the, a great what? Took him to a mountain. Wow, that's interesting. Took him to a mountain and let him see all of the nations of all the earth. And he said, you can have all of these things. Just what? Just worship me. Bow down, worship me. And we see even as Jesus is praying in the garden right before the, the cross, right before he goes to be crucified, what does he pray? He says, Father, take this cup from me. If there's any way, take this cup from me. But not my will, but your will be done. See, the, the whole temptation in the wilderness was to say, hey, you can make your own way. You don't have to be hungry. Use your own power, make bread. You don't have to take this from people. They, they keep telling you that you're not who you say that you are. Show them. Show them, throw yourself down. God will send his angels and then they won't be able to say anything. And then, oh, see all these nations? They will all be yours and you don't have to go to the cross. It's the same thing. God is withholding. God is withholding. And yet Jesus in that moment was an overcomer because he says, you know, I see this tree, the knowledge of the good and evil, and I can see, oh man, maybe it would be easier if I didn't have to die. And yet I'm going to put my trust in God's life-giving presence that he knows best, that his way is true, and his goodness his goodness will guide me into where he wants me to be. See, that's what it means to be an overcomer. And, and it's, it's even further illustrated by, this isn't a comprehensive list of all the sins that might send you to the place called the second death. And yet the reality is as we read through, but as for the cowardly, faithless, detestable, all these things, it's all just describing what it means to go our own way, to make our own decisions, to say, you know what, I see God's way, but you know, I mean... My, my body wants these things. Sex in this way looks, man, that looks really good. Sorcery, it's like, well, I don't know if any of us in here are really in danger of being wizards and witches. Maybe, I don't know. But, but the whole idea is if I can figure out a way to bend the laws of nature to create my own existence. And God's saying, no, that's not what it means to be a conqueror. Come, receive from me. Find yourself at this tree. He, he goes on to describe what it looks like to, to have our hope fully in his presence. Verse, verse 9, then, then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high, what? Anybody? Mountain, right? He goes to a mountain. Isn't that cool? I think it's cool. It's, it is cool. So if, you, if you're like, I don't know why that's cool, you just study it a little bit more, go back. And he takes him to a mountain where the bride of, of God is coming down heaven and earth on a mountain. They're coming together. In verse 11, um, Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Let's just stop there. As, as we see heaven coming down, this idea of the bride of the lamb, the bride of Jesus, it's personified in this city. And yet we know throughout scripture in the Old Testament, the bride of God is, is his people, right? It's his people. It's, it's representing the type of relationship God desires to have with his people. And yet, all, I mean, if you read Hosea and Jeremiah, it gets pretty graphic. Like when I was a youth pastor, some of my kids, their favorite verses was Jeremiah, where it talked about the adultery of God's people. It's super 
immature, but you know, it's like, hey, would you read a verse for us? And they'd read these verses. It's like, where is that? And it's like, it gets, it gets, it's, it gets really graphic. But the reality is, is that idolatry throughout the Old Testament is described as adultery. It's like to turn from, from God's life-giving presence to our own way is to say, yeah, I see this relationship you desire. Yeah, I'm going my own way. I'm going to chase after these things. And yet we see in the end of all things, we see that this city is, is shining with God's glory. It's, it's described with precious jewels, this jasper that's clear as crystal. And, and the whole reality of what this is saying is that someday what we were meant to be, we will fully realize God's people, you and me, the church, because that's what we see throughout the New Testament. The church is God's bride. And we see uh, it comes down. It's described with jewels. It had uh, a great high wall with 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width, it's meaning it's a cube. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurements, which is also an angel's measurements, which oh, I guess that's good to know, right? If you ever wonder what's the, you know, how to, what's a mile in heaven? I guess it's the same for us. Um, anyway, something that I found humorous. Uh, verse 18, the wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Again, perfection. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second, so on and so forth. We're going to skip ahead. Verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light with the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." Now, why did we just read all of that? I think there are times where we read things like this and we get so caught up in the numbers and we get so, because it's like, well, if I could just, you know, I just want to go in my basement and create a scale model of the new Jerusalem so I can just kind of figure all this out and what it looks like and all these different, and you see, the real, that's our Western desire to have all the questions figured out. I don't think that's how the original uh, hearers would have been thinking through this. I think when they heard the, the New Jerusalem coming down on a mountain, they're like, oh, mountain, that's crazy, right? And, and what they hear as these numbers and all these different things are being read, they hear, what does it look like to be in the, in the, the life-giving presence of God our Father? What does that look like? What is our hope actually in? And I think there are three main things, and there's probably more that you can pull out of this, but three main things. The first thing I think we see is that there is safety in the presence of God, right? You, you see the, the walls are like, like 200 feet thick, and, and this, this whole city is like 1,400 miles cubed. 
That's crazy. Like, that's, that's huge. I was, I was reading about how, like, actually how big that is because, again, my Western mindset, and I'm like, oh, it would be kind of cool to have a scale model of this. But, but the, I, I was reading, it says, a metropolis, some, some article was saying, a metropolis of this size in the middle of the United States would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the Californian border. That's huge, right? That's big. And we see that it has gates, and to, to the original hearers, what that would have sounded like is, oh, there's safety in the unadulterated presence of God, the life-giving, but there is safety. Oh, what, what would it look like for there to be a place where there is no night anymore? What would that look like to be safe? What would, that, what would that look like? See, he's saying, look, our hope is that someday we'll experience that. The, the second thing I think that we pull out of here is that God's, God's power to sustain. First of all, in God's presence, there is safety, and we see God's power to sustain. We see that in this city are the 12 tribes of, of uh, Israel represented. And not only that, but we see the 12 apostles of the Lamb represented. We see, we see the jewels, the, the part we skipped over. We see the jewels, which takes us back to the language that we talked about last week of the great high priest. What did he have on his chest? Do you remember? Right, the, the jewels that represented the 12 tribes where every time he'd go into the presence of God, he took God's people with him. I love it because what we see throughout this is that God's power to sustain us will never fail. Amen? God's power to sustain, I love Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. My dad used to be on his singing teams and he'd go around and sing these, these different, like mid-70s, early 80s. And I still remember him singing uh, this one song that says, uh, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to, he didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. It's like this really cool song. But every time I heard, I was like, oh, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. God's life-giving presence, if he began a good work in you, this hope that we're talking about, we will experience. Isn't that beautiful? See, God will sustain us. And not only that, the, the last thing I think we have to talk about is just the massive size of this place. And what we see in that is not, again, it's like, well, how, you know, it is cool to think about how big it is and compared to the United States. But the reality is all the nations will come to this place. They're, the people who are considered outside are welcomed in. There, there's, no, there's no scarcity in the presence of God. There's no, there's no me trying to get more because maybe there won't be enough at the end or I got to self-protect or, or I have to self-promote. There's none of that in the presence of God because there is room and space for everybody, even those who might, like, oh, even those people? Yeah, even those people. The nations will come and experience the presence of God. You see, in all of that, what we are meant to see is that this city the, the people of God, this city, is the presence of God that we see all the way back in the temple, all the way back in the garden. You see, in the garden, in the garden Adam and Eve were, were given a command. Do you remember? Be fruitful, multiply, and what? You guys are tired. I know. Be fruitful, multiply, and what? 
the land, fill the earth, right? Fill the earth with what? God's presence. See, the command was to take what happened in Eden, in the garden, and say, make all of creation look like that. You see, what we see in this passage is that that happened. This cube-sized city represents what happened in the temple, where it's like, well, God's presence is in this cube shape in the temple. That's the only place. And now we see it goes from there to all over. See, the, the hope that we get to live in is the fact that someday we will be made new, that everything, everything bad will be made undone, right? That God, by his power and his authority, will come down and personally wipe away every tear from our eye. And, and the cool part about that, as we think about God's unadulterated presence and just this place where it's like, well, only one person can come in once a year, and if he doesn't do it right, he might die and all this stuff. Well, now it's everywhere, we will get to experience God's presence. And the cool part about that is as we think about what that will be like someday, the really cool part about that is as his people, we get to experience in part that presence today. See, all these things that give us hope for a future are things that we get to taste right now. Right? The, the fact that Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. See, the, as I said earlier, this future reality gives us an identity that says we can be people who will someday be safe. We will be secure. The nations will come in. We get to proclaim. We get to experience God's presence. We get to experience all these different things. And someday we will experience it in full. And yet right now our identity that says that's going to be someday, that future identity protects us and keeps us stable in our present realities. Because I don't know about you, but there are so many times where I do not feel safe. Right? There are so many times where I do not feel secure. And yet knowing that someday I'll get to experience that in full protects me right now and says, yeah, I don't feel safe right now. And yet what does it look like for me to be a person who can experience the fullness of God's presence right now in, in this chaotic life? I think a great example, and we're going to land the plane here, a great example of this is King David. King David, he got anointed as king, like the prophet came and, and said, you are, you are the king of Israel. Poured oil over him in, in the presence of his family and his tribe, says, you are the king. Anointed him, gave him this identity. Do you know how long it took him to actually receive the, the position of king? Do you, do you guys know? It's like between 15 and 20 years. So he was given this identity, you are king. And yet 20 years later, he actually fully became king. And yet in the meantime, his identity as king protected him and kept him stable in his future reality, or his present realities. I mean, he, he was a boy who got, you know, th thrown out, okay, face the giant. Well, it's like, okay, what does it look like for me to be king and face this giant? What does it look like for me to be king and be a shepherd, this thankless job? What does it look like for me to be king and be an outcast? 
What does it look like for me to be a king and have this person in authority over me keep just challenging me and keep oppressing me and keep doing all these different things? See, his future identity, his, his present identity saying, I am king and yet I haven't experienced it yet. The fullness of it kept him safe in his, in his present reality. It's the same for us. We have an identity that says we are safe and secure in the reality of God's presence, and yet our current reality is anything but safe and secure. So what does it look like, Compass Church, what does it look like for us to live lives that says, man, even when I don't feel safe, I can trust that I am safe because God's presence is with me. What does it look like for us to say, yeah, I'm really angry right now, and there are ways that I can express this anger, and yet what does it look like for me to be a person who is safe and secure to also be angry right now? What does it look like for us to have an identity that keeps us safe and secure in our present reality? Let's, let's pray. God, that's the question. God, the, the question as I, as I think about this, what does it look like for us to be safe and secure because we have an identity that says that we are safe and secure? Even when our, even when our current reality doesn't show it, even, even when there's still chaos, God, we can, we can trust that someday you're gonna put this all to rest. We can trust that your, what we experience in part right now, we will someday experience in whole. And God, I pray, as, I, I pray over us as a congregation that, that that current identity, God, that, that no matter what we walk through, no matter what diagnosis we face, no matter, no matter what happens with the economy, no matter what happens in the car ride home, no matter the times that we feel like chaos is beating down our door, we can be people who the deeper reality is that we are safe and secure because we get to experience God's life-giving presence. Help us to be that, God. Help us to be those people so that the nations will see your glory. We praise you and it's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.